All right, do you feel busy and scattered already? <laughs> good morning. So good to see you today here in the auditorium and in the venue. Great to worship with you. My name is Adrian. I'm one of the pastors at Carney E. Free, and we welcome you to church this morning. We are entering this new series, Discipleship in a Digital Age, today, and that kind of sets the tune for some of what we are feeling a little bit. I appreciate the creativity of our communications team and our uh, creative arts team to put something like that together because it, it does set the stage pretty well for a bit of what we feel in the digital age, doesn't it? Yeah. Raise your hand if you remember the original Nintendo video game console. Okay, all right. I'm sure many... Men aged 35 to 45, those hands have gone up in the venue. They certainly have gone up here in the auditorium. Uh, that was a sweet spot in my life. Back when I was 11, 12, 13 years old, we had the original Nintendo video game console. My parents were really strict about technology growing up. They were very, very structured. They allowed us to have maybe 30 minutes of TV or video game a couple nights per week, and then maybe an hour on Saturday and Sunday, and that's it. And I hated that back then, and I love it today. I'm very grateful for it today. But amongst the rules with that uh, original Nintendo video game system was, again, that we could, we could play it for 60 minutes on the weekends, on Saturday and Sunday, but, but maybe 30 minutes a couple nights Per week, And so my little brother and I, when I was about 11 or 12, we got this original Nintendo system. We got so excited to, to play it and uh, would really enjoy Super Mario Brothers or Mike Tyson's Punch-Out or sometimes even Duck Hunt. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's what I'm talking about. It, all the video games got way too complicated for me after Nintendo. I lost track. Two buttons is the max I can handle. Um, but we, we would play that, and on Sunday... After playing it a little bit on Saturday and a little bit on Sunday, we'd get to about 30 minutes, and then all of a sudden the, the screen would freeze. Remember that, guys? Come on, men. You remember. The screen would freeze, and so we'd have to go up to that Nintendo system, and there would be a little red button on it that said, reset. And you do a reset, and then your game starts over again. You lose whatever you had just done, and you, you get to play again. But sometimes on Sunday afternoon after 40 minutes, the simple reset, well, wouldn't do enough. And we'd have to go up to that Nintendo system, and we'd have to pull out the Super Mario Brothers cartridge. And what would you do next, guys? You blow on it, I heard everyone say. You blow on it. And if that didn't work, then you go down to the game console and you <laughs> blow on it, which has proven not to work, but we would do it anyway. Okay, and then you stick it back in, and maybe it didn't work, it would freeze again, and so you'd, you'd slap it <laughs> a couple times. And frequently, that still wouldn't work, and so we didn't get our final 15 minutes of Nintendo. <laughs> so we'd have to unplug it, and take the game out, and clean it out, and step away from the system for two or three days. It strikes me that in this digital age that we live in, some of us are in need of that soft reboot. We need to push the reset button, and we need to ask the question, are we playing these games, are we playing this technology, or is it playing us? And other of us are 
in need of something more than a soft reboot. There's other people in here today that are in need of disconnecting the cord altogether. Stepping away from it altogether for some period of time in which we could develop a plan through a reboot and then perhaps re-engage sometime later in a healthier manner. Would you agree? This has begun to overwhelm our culture, kids and adults included. The truth is we simply cannot escape the digital age that we now live in. I know some people who have tried and they've lost all influence. They've become hermits. And I just can't believe as Christians God would call us to that, to withdraw so much into a reclusive state that we lose all influence. That doesn't seem wise. But I tell you what also doesn't seem wise. Sucking down a big gulp of technology every day. That's not wise either. And that's where many of us are living. Let me paint a picture of how we've gotten to this point. The digital revolution probably began with the invention of the microprocessor and then the very first home computers, which were anything but micro back in the early 1970s. It progressed slowly for the first several years and then rapidly over the past 25 years where analog and mechanical electronics were slowly and then rapidly replaced with digital electronics. In 1984, 8.4% of Americans had a personal computer. Most of them were called the Commodore 64. Here in 2017, 100% of Kearney Public Schools middle school 7th and 8th graders own their own personal computer. It's called a Google Chromebook. In 2016, 4 billion people had access to internet and phones all around the world. I don't know about you if you've ever traveled to third world countries and you see someone who's a, a rice farmer in rural Haiti, for example, and they pick up this smartphone and there's a bit of a disconnect when you know that person is living on $2 a day. But the truth is, that phone, that connectivity is every bit as important, every bit as vital for that Haitian rice farmer as the dinner they're going to serve their family this evening. It's critical for them to maintain their employment. This is the world that we now live in. Initially, digital technology was much like other tools that we would use. It was a tool that was used for production, a tool used for getting work done. Now it's become a toy for consumption, hasn't it? Initially it was a tool for production, and if you remember the early internet days, it was a tool, and it was a hard tool to learn. It's now become a toy for our consumption. And this is simply the air that we breathe that we are surrounded at all times by eight or ten glowing rectangles. That we are surrounded by more technology on demand each and every day. We can fly across the world in a few hours. Driverless cars are here, and they're coming. This is the air that we breathe. 
Listen to just a few statistics, and I'll try not to overwhelm with these, but they are important for setting the stage for this series. A 2016 Barna Group survey of over 1,000 American parents of school-age kids reported that their kids spend an average of six hours a day in front of screens. On average, kids of all age, 4 to 17, six hours a day. We Americans check our smartphones roughly 85,000 times a year give or take a few, which equals one time every 4.3 minutes, including when we're in bed, which also equals about eight or nine times during this sermon. <laughs> Humbled already. 82% of teens take their phones to bed with them, which hurts their sleep. 61% of parents wake up to their phone and check it first thing when they arise, typically not for their daily devotional. The average social media output and email output today is larger than the Library of Congress. We Snapchat, we tweet, we Instagram, we Facebook, we Tumblr, we text, we Pinterest. We have no margin. We've lost negative space from our lives. And I'm sure I've missed a few in that little list. I heard a story some time ago of a young girl named Sarah who wanted to have her boyfriend Johnny over for a date for the very first time. And they were 16 years old, so Sarah is begging mom and dad, can I please bring Johnny over and we're just going to have conversations on the couch. We're not going to do anything that we're not supposed to do, mom. We can't have conversations in the hallways at school. There just isn't enough time. Can I please have Johnny over? And so eventually Sarah's mom relented and Johnny came over for their date on the couch in which they sat down and they proceeded to text each other. Some of us have just forgotten how to have conversations. And yet we long for it, don't we? I mean, we, we recognize this isn't right, this isn't good. We, we long for something more than what we're getting. There's a disconnect that is felt. When we go to a local restaurant and we're out to dinner as a family for a nice night out and we sit down and 360 degrees sports are on televisions. And then you sit your little kid down and in front of her is a video game console. And mom and dad sit down and they pull out their phones and they're not looking at each other, they're looking at their phones. There's a disconnect that is felt to that, isn't there? We, we feel this disconnect when we're connected online to thousands of people and yet we still feel the sting of loneliness. We feel this disconnect when we hear the comedian Louis C.K. remark, you look around and everything is amazing, but nobody is happy. We feel this disconnect. Would you agree we might need a reboot? It's interesting, millennials are actually leading the way in certain ways on this issue. They're leading the way toward a reboot. They're pushing against it in certain ways. Do you know that there's a couple industries that are on the rebound, such as the vinyl record industry? We're going to walk the line with Johnny Cash in here. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. That's on the reboot. That, that's rebounding. These, these stores are growing. There's a great one here in Kearney. I don't have any, but how about used bookstores? 
Do you know used bookstores are popping up all over urban centers across America? Coupled with cafes, vintage and newer books, slightly used books, they're popping up all over the place. People understand that they want physical stuff that would connect them to the 3D world that we live in. A couple other examples. Have you heard of the company Moleskin? Raise your hand if you heard of the company Moleskin, a little journal company. Moleskin is a little simple journal company which in 2006 was worth $17 million. In 2016, guess how much it was worth? $373 million. They sell journals, and that's it. $373 million. People, people recognize it's a good thing to reflect, to write down, to doodle. Uh, there's a gentleman on our staff, Eric O'Brien, who's our technology director. And if you know Eric, you know he's just a fantastic young man. And, and he's, he's one of the rare guys who is brilliant with digital technology, and at the same time, he's nice. He's, I mean, like, he's really, really nice. And, and like, our staff would be in such trouble without Eric on our team. He comes and helps constantly with all of our technology and all the technology across this entire building. But one thing you may not know about Eric is in the midst of all of his technology, he loves old-fashioned fountain pens. You see that? Can you see it? He has 19 or 20 of these because he recognizes it's a good thing to doodle in a notebook, to write down in a journal, to get connected once again to the physical world that we live in. There's, there's just this disconnect, but because we all long for living, breathing, flesh and blood connections with other people and to touch and to feel good things that might connect us to this good world that God has made. And we long, we still recognize that we long for a connection with the, the living God who is still available to us today who still speaks, but we will not hear his voice if we're constantly connected to digital noise. In this series, let me tell you what we will not do. I'm not going to stand up here and bash all the digital technologies that we use, okay? Because if I did that, the sledgehammer would have to start with me, okay? I struggle with this too, just like you two. My family struggles with this as well. I engage some of the social medias because I want to have a voice. But I have to be very careful how I engage them. What we need to do, though, is evaluate the air that we are currently breathing and its effect on our spiritual health. We need to spend some weeks considering what does discipleship look like in the digital age that we are living in. The word discipleship only means apprenticeship. It's, it's becoming an apprentice to Jesus, a follower of Jesus. So how do we grow more and more as followers of Christ, as apprentices of Christ in this increasingly complex world that we live in? Open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 4. And if you use a phone or a tablet, that's just fine. Okay, you're welcome to do that. That's fine. If you don't, have a physical Bible, a paper Bible, and you would like one. We'd love to give you one. 
There's Bibles at the exits and at the information table. You're welcome to have one of those as our gift to you. I think there's something to having a paper Bible. There's nothing wrong with using a digital one. But I will voyage through a physical Bible up here as we go through Luke 4. Um, a couple different passages in the Gospel of Luke uh, this morning. Um, Did you know that Jesus was born into an age of rapid technology advancement? Did you know that? It's true. He didn't have an iPad or a Samsung phone. But he was born into an age of rapid technology advancement. Previous civilizations never touched what the Roman Empire did starting at the time of Jesus' birth. It was the Roman Empire that developed an aqueduct system for transporting water thousands of miles. It was the Roman Empire that developed these dams for holding water and developed mechanical engineers, engineering for some of the most amazing coliseums and skyscrapers though, that you can imagine. An incredible road system. The technology of the sanitation system and the road system and the aqueducts that was developed during the time of Jesus by the Roman Empire was not surpassed for another 12 to 1500 years. Jesus was born into a time of rapid technology advance, different kind of technology than ours for sure. But the Apostle Paul reflects on this while when he writes in the book of Galatians chapter 4, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. So think about this for just a moment, but before we get into Luke chapter 4. When the set time had fully come, when the maximum number of people could navigate across the known world of the Roman Empire, when millions of people could navigate toward Jesus if they wanted to, God sent his son. When there would be safe water to help get them there, God sent his son. When people could come who were first-class Romans, God sent his son. When people could come who were second-class Jews, who were third-class women, who were fourth-class disabled people and immigrants, at that time, at just the right time, with the advance of technology, God sends his son into that world. And you have to understand that as we begin the, this series, that Jesus is surrounded by people with all kinds of issues at the time he was born and at the beginning of his ministry that simply would not have been the case if he was born in another generation. And so he gets surrounded by the noise. And as he is surrounded by the noise at many different times across his ministry, one of the critical ideas that we're going to get here from the Gospel of Luke and throughout the series is this. Do not miss this. Jesus rebooted, and so must we. Jesus lived in a time of rapid technology advance in which people could come to him, and he was on call 24-7, and he had to learn to reboot. This is the Son of God who needed to, and so must we. Look now at Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan where he was baptized, and he was led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness for 40 days. It's interesting, right? At the beginning of his public ministry, Jesus gets baptized in the Jordan River, and then he leaves people. 
He's the beginning of his ministry, but he doesn't begin with people. He leaves for 40 days where he spends time in the wilderness communing with his Father and communing well with the Holy Spirit before he commences his public ministry. 40 days fighting off temptation and developing a deeper connection well with the Father before beginning his public ministry. It moves on in chapter 4 of Luke to the beginning of his ministry where he commences with healing people and casting out demons, and teaching, and caring for people in all kinds of terrible conditions. And it moves toward the end of Luke chapter 4 and verse 42, and it says this. Verse 42. When it was day, he departed, and he went into a desolate place, and the people sought him, and they came to him. I would underline in my Bible, lonely place, or desolate place, or out of the way place. This was part of the pattern of Jesus' life. He's away with the Father. He engages people. He's healing. He's caring. He's teaching. He gets tired. He departs to an out-of-the-way place to pray, to be alone with God. And the people are still clamoring for him, aren't they? They come to him. They seek him in this desolate place. Now look on to chapter 5. Okay, two times in chapter 4. Move on to chapter 5. You may not notice this. Well, when you read the Gospels for the first time, but it's all over the place. Chapter 5, verse 15. The report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed from all of their infirmities. And he cared for them, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. There it is again. Okay, just one chapter later. Huge numbers of people coming to him. All kinds of noise for all kinds of needs. Again, they can come from all over the Roman Empire. They come to him and he says, I'm going to care for you, but then I'm going to go into the love of my Father and, and pray. One more example. You look over at chapter 6. And in chapter 6 here, the context is Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath day. Chapter 6, 12, he's now interacting well with the Pharisees. The Pharisees are angry well with him because he's healed a man on the Sabbath. They said you can't do any kind of work on the Sabbath, not even healing someone. And Jesus says there's never a bad day to do good. Jesus heals this man on the Sabbath, but he's invoked the fury of these Twitter trolls called Pharisees. And they're all after him with all this noise. And look what he does. Verse 12, he went out to the mountain to pray. They're yelling at him. They're furious with him. He's got trolls all over his news feed. And he goes out to the mountainside to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles. Isn't this interesting? He's got trolls of people after him. He leaves them and spends the full night alone with God in prayer. And the next day, what does he do? He makes the biggest decision that he's yet made in his public ministry. He appoints his 12 disciples. Out of time with the Father, he establishes this organization that then changes the world. This was part and parcel of Jesus' life. This is the way that he lived he went into the presence of the Father. 
And I find it so fascinating, though, that one as brilliant as Jesus, a teacher like him, who obviously had such a rich spiritual life, regularly rebooted. But many of us Christians today don't think that we need to. This was a normative part of his life. Jesus practiced what we would call today the spiritual disciplines. Now, what is a spiritual discipline? Though this is language though, that's thrown out in a lot of Christian books, but oftentimes undefined. A spiritual discipline, you know, you'll see a definition on your outline. It goes like this. It is a spiritual activity within our power to do, which by repeated effort puts us in the stream of God's grace, puts us in the shower of God's grace, enabling us to become more like Christ, enabling us to be what we could never do on our own. You see, my friends, you can never become like Christ on your own. I can never become like Christ on my own. But fortunately, Jesus gives us the how to live, not just what to believe, but how to live. And the how that he lived was these spiritual practices that put him in the stream of God's grace and enabled him to connect with God. Puts us in the stream of God's grace, enables us to become what we could never work our way up to on our own. Now, many of us, as I've noted before, don't like the word discipline, do we? That's fine. Use the word spiritual practice. But I don't like practice. Use the word spiritual activity. Spiritual exercise. I don't care what you do, but you got to do these things. Some of these we need to incorporate into our lives if we are going to become more like Christ. This is the how of his ongoing connectivity to God. And it will be the how of our ongoing connectivity to God as well. These are things like Bible memory, Bible study, various kinds of prayer, worship, things like Christian friendship, getting into a life group or a care group with other people that are marching the same direction. It could be things like journaling. It could be silence and solitude where you get away from the noise and you spend time alone with God. All of these are God-given gifts for us to reestablish our connectivity to the source. You see, my friends, the greatest danger of the digital age is not pornography. The greatest danger of the digital age is not online bullying. It's not sexting. It's not the political rancor that we see every time we open up our Instagram feed. It's none of those things. Those are all symptoms. The greatest danger is the cause. And the root cause is this. We've lost our wonder. We've lost our wonder for God. We've lost our wonder for people who are made in the image of God. And because we lose our wonder for things that really matter, we settle for lesser things. You see, constant saturation with internet and glowing rectangles is dangerous for us because when you're constantly saturated by video games, you will find yourself bored by the prospect of spending 30 minutes alone with God. That's a consequence. If you're constantly saturated by your Facebook feed, here's what happens chemically in the brain. Every time you get a like on something that you post, a little 
hit of dopamine goes into your brain. It's a little chemical reactor in your brain called dopamine that says, ooh, that feels good. You get another one, you say, ooh, that feels better. And you need more and more of that. Dopamine has been nicknamed the gimme more chemical. The gotta have it chemical. And the thing about dopamine is it's never satisfied. It always wants more. And so you get 100 likes and you need 200 likes. And when that's no longer satisfied, then you go after things like sexting or internet pornography or fill in the blank. Okay, all of those things are terrible. I'm not making light of them. But if we don't address the root cause, we won't gain any victory. The root cause is we need to regain our sense of wonder for the living God and beautiful people made in his image and likeness. So what we're going to do each week in this series is introduce a single spiritual discipline that is intended to draw us back into the heart of God to help reestablish that connection with him. Just one discipline that we could practice. And like all other things, these get better, these get easier with practice. The one I'd like to introduce though this morning is called fasting. Fasting uh, classically refers to abstaining from food or drink, but here's a little definition for fasting. Fasting is temporarily abstaining from something enjoyable in order to reawaken our hunger for God. Temporarily abstaining from something that is neutral or enjoyable in order to reawaken our hunger for something that is more important than it. Reawaken our hunger for something that really is meant to satisfy and provide, so, for, provide food for our soul. As Jesus said, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So Jesus said, when you fast, not if you fast, when you fast. Now, what I'd like to suggest is fasting can be applied to anything that looms a little bit too large in your life right now. Anything that's garnering too much of your attention or taking too many of our emotions. And so if that's video games or Facebook or Instagram or our glowing rectangles in our pockets or some relationship or food or drink, anything that looms too large and diverts your attention away from God, that's a good time to learn how to abstain from it in order to fill your life with something like a prayer walk or devotions with kids or meaningful spiritual conversation with a real friend or intentional practice of worship, picking up an old hymnal or turning on my bridge radio and worshiping with it, whatever it might be for you, many different practices that you can refill that absence. Fasting is part of how we would reawaken our hunger for God. It's part of how we might learn to loiter with our Lord once again. What if we learn to do that? To be still and know that God is God. To loiter with our creator once again. So here's my assignment for you this week. Just one assignment. Have a conversation with family or friends about how you might begin to gain more control of digital medias lest they gain more control of you. 
and specifically how you might begin fasting from some form of media that looms too large for you right now for a certain period of time so that you can reboot and establish healthy connection once again. Have that conversation with each other. Have that conversation with a family or with a life group. What would it look like? Not for all time, but maybe for one day. Maybe for 12 hours. I mean, if we're checking our phones every four minutes, let's start with one hour, okay? We can do this, people. Let's do it together. But learn how to fast, not on a one-time occasion, but as a regular habit of life. And that begins with a great conversation with people who we know and love and trust and could even help us provide some accountability. Across every generation, there are two essential virtues though, that we need. And I think particularly here in this generation, this digital age, there's two essential qualities though, that we need for discipleship with Jesus. And they're this. We need wisdom and we need courage. The first thing we need in this digital age is wisdom. We need to ask ourselves though the question, what is good? What contributes to the flourishing of life? Wisdom is not the same as knowledge. It's not the same as information. Wisdom is knowledge rightly applied to life. So applied to digital technology, it would be, which of these am I going to engage in? Which of these restrictions will we make in our family so that we can grow into people of character? God, give us wisdom. Then second, we need courage to act on that. Whatever wisdom we might develop with respect to the digital age while we live in, Next, after that, we need courage to act on it. We need a few other people in our lives that would help us to make difficult decisions even when they are very painful, even when they're scary, even when it seems like no one else is doing it. Let me tell you, if you take what I am saying today and over these next five weeks seriously, you will feel weird. You'll feel different. You'll feel better. You will feel better. But you will be different than the crowd. And I'm telling you, my friends, to be different from the crowd is part and parcel of discipleship. And it will require an abundance of courage. Now, I don't know about you. I know I cannot do that on my own. I need my family to be in it with me together. I need a few other friends to be in it with me. And so again, that's why I'm encouraging you to have this conversation with Life Group or with family or with a few other friends because we all are in need of a few people who know us, they know our cobwebs, they know our temptations, and yet they still love us. They're still committed to our growth. They're still committed to this radical idea of discipleship together. And as we engage in this radical idea of discipleship together, we will grow in these two beautiful words of wisdom and courage. We might get a little bit of a reboot. It might make us a little bit different than our neighbors. And that's okay. Would you pray with me?
Father in heaven, thank you that you always invite us to something better than this world invites us to. It doesn't matter the generation. The offer of discipleship is always better than what this world offers. And particularly in this generation where we see not only our kids, but also ourselves as adults and grandparents, sometimes overwhelmed by digital technology, we invite you to bring us to that which is better. God, the scriptures say, take up your cross and follow me. It's hard for me to imagine forsaking digital technology being part of our cross, but for some of us, it will be. And so collectively as a church, God, we, we come to you and we ask for your help. We ask, God, that you would help us to have difficult conversations with one another this week, and that perhaps you would even give us courage to begin to make difficult decisions, to act with wisdom for our health, for the health of our kids, and even for the health of the communities that you call us into. God, every single one of us needs your help on this one. We invite you to guide us. We invite you to challenge us and even convict us for the ways we've allowed this to overtake our lives. Please help us now. We ask by faith in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people say, amen.